Man, it's an exciting week for our family, and uh, for many of you in similar situations, I know you share the same enthusiasm. For others of you that have gone before and gone through this in the past, you know a little of what I'm describing. Our oldest son, Joel, is coming home from Taylor University this week, which means by Thursday evening, our home is going to be full again, and uh, it's pretty special, and we are so grateful for that. We're so grateful for the experiences uh, that Joel's having at school, but I'll tell you you something. I miss the days when they were little. I really do. And not all the time, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. I watch some of you and your struggles and your challenges, and I'm thankful that we have moved on, you know, to a new season of life. But I really miss those days because it just goes so fast. Man, I mean, before you know it, they've grown up, they're out the door, and that's a good thing. I mean, Jenny and I have always said we're raising adults, all right? That's what we're after. We're trying the best that we can, kingdom workers, but it's just so hard to believe that we're at this point. And next year, our high school son, Luke, is going to be off to Taylor University as well, which means next year at this time, we're going to be waiting for two boys to come home from school. And that also means then that our high school daughter, Kate, is going to need your prayers because she's going to have two brothers away next year and a lot of quality time with mom and dad. And so we are all looking forward to that. But that's next year. For now, Thursday's the beginning of of several special weeks uh, for the Moomaws. But have you ever wondered this? Have you ever wondered, like, why the need for people? Uh, Why the need for relationships uh, and for family in our lives? Like, you and I were made for one another. Uh, It's true. It's true if you're single. It's true if you're married. It's true if you're a male or a female. It's true whether you're young or old, introverted or extroverted. Like God made us. He designed us. He created us for relationships. And for those reasons, then, we all have. We have people in our lives that we enjoy and need and and love doing life with. And then there are those that require a little extra energy and effort and a whole bunch of grace. We all have those in our family. And some of those family are coming to our homes, you know, very soon in these next few weeks. But it doesn't change what's true, and that is the deep down, every single one of us was created with a need and an experience uh, to do life with other people. But here's where it gets really fascinating, that the same God, the same God who created the heavens and the earth, this universe, like he has a deep desire to do life with you and me and each of us now and for the rest of eternity. And whether we realize it or not, like the idea of a God and his desire to be with us is part of the reason why we celebrate Christmas in the first place. And so for the next few weeks, as we prepare for Christmas together as a a church family, we're going to focus on one simple word, and that word is just this. It's the word with. The word with. And last Sunday, if you were here, marked the beginning of the Advent season. The word Advent, uh, as Joel talked about this morning, just means arrival. And, And so Christmas is a time for us to celebrate, to prepare for the arrival of Jesus Christ. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to try and get our minds and our hearts around the reality that the birth of Jesus is proof of God's desire to do life with you and me. And so if you've got your Bibles this morning, uh, I want to invite you to turn to the Gospel of Luke. If you use a, a Bible app on your phone, you can go there with us. Luke is the third book of the New Testament. Uh, the second half of your Bible, uh, the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Jesus written through the account of Luke and his study and a number of eyewitness accounts. And so Luke chapter one, we're going to be there. But before we dive into Luke's account of the Christmas story, I want to take 
take us for just a moment to the beginning of our Bibles to help us understand why this idea of God with us, uh, where that comes from, and why it's so important. Uh, the first book of our Bible is the book of Genesis, and the first two chapters describe how God created all things and how he created the first man, Adam, and he created the first woman, Eve, and he created them to be able to enjoy his presence as they ruled over the earth under his authority. And from what we can see in Genesis chapter 2, Adam and Eve enjoyed this time and this privilege with God, and by the end of Genesis chapter 2, it's becoming clear that from the beginning that God's had this vision for humanity, that his vision has been for humanity, and that is us and for you and for me to enjoy life with him, which sounds great, except for one problem, one word, and that word is sin. And Genesis chapter 3 then describes how instead of enjoying life with God, Adam and Eve chose life apart from God by sinning or rebelling against him, and the result of their sin was that God expelled them from the, from the garden, from his presence, which at first glance seems a little harsh, right? It seems like a little uh, harsh of a penalty, but because God is perfect and we believe that he is holy, as the scriptures say, our sin, that is my sin and your sin, can't coexist with his presence. And so the fact that Adam and Eve lost this closeness with God wasn't because he wanted it that way. No, it was a consequence of their sin. But here's what makes all of this so special and what makes Christmas even greater for us that even in the midst of the fallout between God and Adam and Eve and all of humanity really for that matter God had a plan to send his son to send a savior to the world someone who would reverse the curse of sin and make it possible for you and me to fully enjoy God's presence once again and so from Genesis chapter 3 on God's people waited for the arrival of this savior in fact the whole Old Testament story is example after example of God positioning his people and preparing his people for the arrival of the savior and add to it the Old Testament contains a number of prophecies and promises to let us know what that savior would be like and one of those prophecies was found in the Old Testament book of Isaiah that Joel looked at just a moment ago and if you've spent around any time around church or Christmas or the Bible or whatever chances are you know it it comes from Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14 let's read it out loud together read it with me therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel now, if you're a person that likes evidence uh, to strengthen your faith or the case, then you'll like this verse because it was spoken 700 years before Jesus was born. And if you look closely at it, you'll notice that it contains at least three basic elements of the Christmas story. A virgin, a son, and then this word, Emmanuel. And this word Emmanuel is a word that appears three times in the Old Testament, all of which are in Isaiah, and it's found once in the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew. It's the word Emmanuel, and it means God with us. And it's such an important word. And it's so important that, to be honest, we could spend the rest of our lives trying to grasp the implications of this word and what God did for us and still not even come close to comprehending it. He is Emmanuel, Jesus is, God with us. And so what was God trying to tell his people back then? This is a promise 
I'm going to send my son and he's going to make things right and start the process of reestablishing what was always intended to be. He is Emmanuel, God with us. What is God trying to tell us today with Jesus, with Christmas in 2023? The message at the heart of Christmas is that God went to great lengths to be with us, with you, and for you and I to be with him. And while Christmas... And you could say the cross for that matter and the resurrection, as important as these are, made a way for you and I to be able to enjoy him and to be with him the way that he intended it to be. Well, the ongoing reality of sin and living in a world of unlimited distractions right now is just this, that you and I still get a choice. You get to choose whether or not he's not going to force that on you you and i we get to choose whether or not we will do or choose life with him now that's a bit of a long introduction to our series and to our morning and so let's dive in for a moment into an important part of the christmas story luke chapter one if your bibles are open there picking it up in verse 26 the last half of that verse the gospel writer Luke records that God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And so right away, the writer Luke introduces us to an angel named Gabriel and to this young woman, a virgin named Mary. And the fact that Luke mentions that very Mary was a virgin was his way of connecting us to the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 7 because again what does the angel Gabriel say to Mary verse 28 the angel went to her and said greetings Mary you who are highly favored now I don't know about you but when I hear the words highly favored I can't help but think of somebody who's extremely talented or or gifted or uh, someone who's popular somebody with great wealth or a lot of influence you know kind of the way Taylor Swift gets a shout out for just about anything uh, these days but what's peculiar though about Mary is that she had nothing in fact most scholars believe that she was 13, 14 years of age at the time, which means that she was very young. And not only that, but as Luke points out, Mary was from an Israelite town called Nazareth. And just to give you some perspective here, if you look at the very bottom of the map, you'll see the, the, the village of Bethlehem just outside of what we know as Jerusalem today. And then if you go to the north, about 60, 70 miles, you'll find the town of Nazareth. And just to the right of Nazareth, that body of water there is the Sea of Galilee where Jesus spent so much of his time. Nazareth is a part of this Galilee region uh, that, that Luke addresses here. And an interesting fact about Nazareth is that it's mentioned zero times in the Old Testament, meaning there was really nothing special about this place. In fact, according to Kent Hughes, it was a shady, corrupt sort of town overrun by Gentiles and Roman soldiers. And so basically, we've got this nobody young girl and we've got this nowhere sort of place in Nazareth. Look at verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son and you will call him. You are to call him Jesus. I remember 
when our family moved from New Berlin, Illinois, to Chatham, Illinois, the summer before my eighth grade year. And it wasn't really a long-distance move, less than 10 miles. The hardest part was the fact that I had been attending a Lutheran school where I had six six kids in my grade and was now moving to a larger public school where I would now have 200 kids in my eighth grade class. Now, middle school was tough, even in the 1900s, but what a time of life, right? trying to figure out yourself, a new school, an entirely new environment. I will never forget that first day of school, in particular walking into the cafeteria for the first time and how terrifying that was. But thankfully, there was a table of young boys that made a way, they made a spot, and I was able to sit down and have lunch with them. And so that wasn't a bad day. My worst day ever of eighth grade was learning that I had been cut from the basketball team, evidently leading your teeny tiny Lutheran school in scoring doesn't guarantee you a place even on the bench at the much larger public school. And so again, that was some difficult news to try and get my mind around. My middle school challenges and yours were nothing compared to what Mary experienced. Now true, things were different then and young women married at a very early age, but still out of nowhere, this angel appears to her to tell her that she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit and will soon give birth to the Son of God. Can you even imagine like parents can you even imagine but Gabriel wasn't finished look at verse 32 angel said he will be great this baby will and will be called the son of the most high the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever his kingdom will never end there is so much packed into those couple of verses there but look at Mary's response to the angel she asked how will this be since I am a virgin Now, let's just put ourselves, or try at least, to put ourselves in Mary's shoes for just a moment. Imagine you're a 13-year-old girl from this nowhere place called Nazareth, and one day an angel sent by God appears to you to tell you that of all the billions of women on the earth that have ever lived, God has chosen you to be the mother of the Savior of the world. From our perspective, seems like great news, right? It's Christmas, right? We celebrate Christmas. This is a part of our story, except for the fact that this is a middle school girl with a bedtime and a pre-algebra test in the morning add to it she's the only one who heard or saw the angel and so what's the chance anyone let alone your parents are going to believe you add to it the customs of the day said you could be stoned to death for being unfaithful to your husband your fiance or the one you're betrothed to and Mary has one in Joseph which means she has a problem See, we rushed to the end of the story. We rushed to the good part. Jesus' birth, Mary, Joseph together, this new family. Can you even begin, can we even begin to imagine what Mary had to endure and what she went through? And what about all the days in between? Like, who would believe her? What would her parents say? What about Joseph? Again, what does the future hold? Like, it's fair to say that this news turned her world upside down and No doubt in the coming days there would be so many highs and there would be so many lows and so many doubts and questions and uncertainties. Kind of like your life and mine. I mean, isn't it true? I mean, you and I, you can be doing life one day, all right, just going through the motions, doing good things, trying to do the right things, working hard, trying your best, and then one day life hits you right in between the eyes. 
And I don't know if it's my age or what, but I just feel like I know so many people right now who have had to endure incredible hurt and pain this past year. And some of you that I've had the privilege or you, you've shared with me or shared with our, our staff or with someone else. Maybe, maybe you've lost somebody that you loved. Maybe you lost a job or are struggling through some difficult times with your work right now. For some of you, it's, it's your health and questions, a, a new diagnosis, a disease, still trying to figure something out. For some of you, you've got a kid that's making some really poor decisions in their life. Some of you have kids that are really confused right now. They don't know what they think about anything, believe about anything, about themselves, about God, or about life. It doesn't take much, does it, to flip your world upside down. Gabriel's news turned Mary's world upside down. She had to learn to live and to trust uh, in spite of not being able to see what was coming and what was ahead. And, and, and many of us right now, many of you, we're, we're doing that in our lives. You've had some circumstance come into your life, and you can only see five feet ahead or ten feet ahead, and so you're learning to trust. You're just taking those next steps one day at a time, trusting God through it. Thankfully for Mary, Gabriel alerted her to something that made all of the difference for Mary, but not just for Mary. It makes all of the difference for each of us. Look again at verse 28. The angel went to her, went to Mary and said, Greetings, you are highly favored. Maybe underline those words or highlight them if you've got them in front of you. The Lord is with you. Remember Isaiah's prophecy about a virgin who would give birth to a son named Emmanuel? What does the word Emmanuel mean? God with us. And now Gabriel is saying, Mary, you're the virgin, and God wants you to know that he is with you, that he will be with you through all of this. Which means then, Mary has got a choice to make. Much like the choice you and I make every single day, of our lives. Like, would she trust God? Like, would she trust God and, and his promises, the promises in his word, promises that come out of places like Genesis chapter 3 and Isaiah chapter 7? Like, would she trust the Lord to, to guide her through the uncertainty of the present, even though these circumstances don't add up or don't make sense? And, and would she trust him with the unknowns of her future no matter what would happen? Maybe it would help to ask it like this. Would the promise of God being with Mary be a enough to hold her together. Look again at Luke 1, verse 34, and look at how Mary responds to all this new information. How will this be, Mary asked the angel again, since I'm a virgin. And so Mary's response to the news was to ask an honest question, like, like how is all of this possible when I've not been with a man? Verse 35, the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. The word overshadow here means to, uh, it's the same word that means to cover with a cloud. It was used on several occasions throughout the Old Testament to refer to the cloud of God's presence and glory that led the Israelites through the wilderness. And so now this is God promising that the same power, the same presence that guided and provided for Israel through this wilderness period was now going to lead Mary through what at times would feel like a wilderness of her own. And all she needed to do was trust, knowing that he would do the rest. 
And once again, that's a lot for anyone to process, much less a 14-year-old girl. But look at Mary's response to Gabriel before he left. Verse 38, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. And look at the courage and the faithfulness of a young woman in spite of the questions, in spite of the uncertainty, like Mary trusted in God's promise. His promise to be with her as she moved forward into this period of unknown and uncertainty in her life. And notice, she didn't say yes and then make a list of contingencies. She simply said, yes, I am the Lord's servant. The word used here for servant can also be translated as a slave. It comes from a Greek word, this Greek word doulos. It's a word uh, that means when defined, it's someone who isn't forced to serve someone else. This is someone who willingly chooses to give up their rights for the interests of the one that they serve. And so in essence, Mary, what we find her saying is, God, your promise to do life with me that's enough. And I'm going to trust you, and I'm going to choose to serve and obey you no matter what it takes, no matter what happens next, no matter what it may cost me in the end. Lord, I am your servant. You know, I know this uh, account of Mary's life is a familiar part of the Christmas story. Um, but in light of what we've learned today, it should leave us asking at least a few questions, but maybe one simple question, and that would be that if God's original vision and intent was for you and I to be able to live and do life with him, and if he promised to send Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us, well, the question you and I need to wrestle with is, is, is God's promise to be with us, to be with me? Like, is that enough for you? Is that enough for you? Now, since it's Christmas and we're all gathered in a church setting, we know that the obvious answer is yes, duh, of course. Like God's promise to be with us is more than enough to sustain me, but do we live like it? Like is his promise to be with you, to be with us? Like is it impacting the way you interact with people? Is it interact or impacting the way you go to school and uh, the way you, you interact with, with employees and, and coworkers, the way you, you think about your resources? Like do we, we, do we trust that God is actually with us? Are, are we aware? Are we enjoying his presence? Like in the good times and, and even in the difficult ones, like does this promise to be with me, does that give me hope no matter what I go through, no matter the uncertainty? that's in front of me right now and am I sharing this hope and the hope of his presence with people in my life do people see Jesus in me author Sky Jathani suggests at least four other alternatives uh, for relating to God uh, that we tend to settle for over life with God and he describes them this way. We'll put them on the screen here that uh, when it comes to relating uh, to God that we sometimes live and choose life over God. We sometimes live and choose life under God, uh, life from God and life for God and for a myriad of different reasons do we do just that. But uh, let, me, let me just briefly describe each of these for you. Jatani says that, that we choose so many times, so many of us, uh, a life over God approach 
approached, uh, that we aren't concerned about God in the ways that we should. And so we'd say it like this, that we like the idea of God around our lives as long as he's not too intrusive, all right, as long as he doesn't get too involved. And so uh, he keeps his place over here, you know, while I do my life over here. And so I call the shots, and if I can find a convenient place to, to fit God in once in a while, great. If not, so be it. It's a life over God approach. And then there's the life under God approach that really sees God in simple kind of cause and effect terms. And so it works out this way, that God is the rule keeper or he's the referee. And so as long as I keep the rules, I keep the peace. And if I get out of line, then I'm likely to suffer the consequences. It's the life under God approach. And then there's the life from God approach, which is really more of a transactional sort of relationship where we use God for his blessings. And so these are people who aren't particularly interested in God. We just know what we need and where to go if we need something. And so God becomes like a genie for us. And so when you need something, we rub the lamp, we tell him what we need. And then finally, there's this life for God crowd. And this is where a lot of us tend to live because it's the most celebrated at times of the religious postures. It goes like this. The people who live for God tend to seek significance by pursuing good things, even great things with our lives. We say we live for God because we want to make our life count or we live for God because we want to make our life matter. We say we, we want to live a significant life. We want to live a life with purpose. And so this is a tough one because in many ways it seems noble, it seems right, but even the mission and sometimes even the passion become like this personal, small G sort of God for us, a counterfeit, an idol of sorts. For me, I'm a little of all of them because I like calling my own shots. And I'm really good at needing God when I need him and after I've exhausted every other option, of course. Like even my passion for God at times can get a little sideways, especially when my flesh starts asking, what am I going to get out of this? What about you? How do you relate with God? Which of these describe your impression of him or your relationship with him? But hear me, God's desire isn't for us to live under, over, from, or for him. No, from the very beginning, God's desire has been for you and me to live with him. And what makes life with God so different better? Life with God means treasuring him above anything else in this world. It means we are united with him in all things each day, every moment of every day of our lives. We don't live for ourselves, but we are seeking to live for him. And so we invite him into every aspect of our lives and in every relationship that we have. We live with a constant, ongoing awareness of his presence, and we seek, and it's our desire to enjoy all of life and every moment as a blessing and as a gift from God. Jathani raises this great question he describes, you know, part of the reason he wonders why so many people today, even Christians, are having a crisis of faith of sorts is that our perspective of God and the way that we relate to him is all messed up. And 
And even as we think about Christianity and the church, we get so focused, we get fixated on the wrong things. We go, basically, we go looking to the wrong things, things that could be good things, but we go looking to the wrong things to fulfill and to satisfy when we should be focused on the best thing. And what matters most? What's the best? It's this, the heart of Christianity and of Christmas is that of a God who wants to do all of life with you. But oftentimes, I miss it. And we miss it. Wednesday this past week was St. Nicholas Day around the world, and I'm pretty sure most of us missed it. I don't know, maybe not, but uh, according to an AP story that I read this week, St. Nicholas was a 4th century Christian bishop from modern-day Turkey who was known for compassion and generosity, and his fame grew during the Middle Ages, and because of it, uh, he became a favorite subject of artists and, and many plays, and today he's known as the patron saint of Greece and Russia and Moscow and New York, as well as many different charities. Uh, no surprise, but St. Nicholas has influenced much of what is known about Santa Claus today. Now, how do some still celebrate St. Nicholas Day in the world? Well, you put out a stocking, and get this, you put out your shoes for St. Nicholas to fill them. He fills them with sweets and toys. And so if you're intrigued, if you're looking for a way to spice up Christmas this year, maybe mix it up a little bit, do something different, too bad. You missed it. St. Nicholas Day was this past week. It only happens on December the 6th. And so if you're interested, you'll have to wait till next year. I don't know how you plan to celebrate Christmas this year. And for some of you, I know it's your favorite time of the year. For others of you, it may be a very difficult, challenging one. I know that for some of us, we just get stuck in the motions of let's get through Christmas and get on to a new year. Regardless of how you see it, can I encourage you and challenge you with this? Let's not miss the point, the promise, and the personal benefits of what Christmas truly means for each of us, that he is God with us, that he is God with you and for you. Don't miss it. You don't have to miss it. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that you are that you are a loving God, that you are a God that created us for relationship. You've modeled relationships. And that while you could have allowed us to self-destruct, that you always had a plan through your son, Jesus Christ, that you came, the word become flesh. As a baby 2,000 years ago, Emmanuel, God with us. And we thank you for the life of Jesus. We thank you for his perfect life. We thank you for uh, his death that covered all things and all sin, my sin, our sin on the cross, Lord, that you raised him from the dead and that because of Jesus Christ, we can have life, that through Jesus Christ, we can have hope and forgiveness and redemption. We thank you for all of these things, Father, that through faith in Jesus, as your word says, if we confess our sins, if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that all are forgiven, that all can find new life in him. And not just in him, but through him and with him. As your word promises, as your Holy Spirit 
has promised and guaranteed that through faith and life in Jesus that we can do life with you, God. And that can make all of the difference. Lord, would you open our hearts and our minds to that today? Would you increase our desire for more of you? Would you stir something in us today and in the weeks to come that will desire more of you, all of you in our lives? We are your servants. We are here to serve you and to live with you. Have your way in us, Jesus. And it's in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.